G'day everyone, welcome to another creation.com podcast and this time we're going to talk about the problem of evil, death and suffering. It's often an argument used against the biblical God but it's in fact a much harder argument for atheists to handle. Now I'm Dr. Jonathan Safety, and with me is Keaton Halley. So first of all, what is the problem of pain, death, evil, uh, as understood? What do you think it is? Well, it's basically the idea that look at all the suffering and death that's out there in the world. Mm. Why would this be here if, as Christians believe God is all-powerful, he'd be able to stop all this evil from happening, and if he's all good, then he would want to stop all this evil from happening. And so they say this is just an incompatibility. Um, It's more plausible that God does not exist, and that explains why there's so much death and suffering and evil. Uh, and yet uh, Christian uh, theologians have answered this for uh, th- over thousands of years. about. Yes, absolutely. For, well, first of all, uh, they answer the way the Bible does, that God didn't create it this way. And of course, the old earth people say that God must have created the world with death and suffering and evil. So they've got a real problem, but n- yeah. not us guys. Yeah, so we've written a number of things about this in the past, mm-hmm. Jono, um, and people can access those in the show notes below. We'll post some of the links to articles we've written. So before we get into why this is a problem for atheists, let's just talk about um, what is the Christian response. Um, you mentioned a part of it is that God didn't create the world full of death and suffering. He made it very good, Genesis one thirty one, and death was a consequence of sin. Um, any other th- thoughts come to mind? Well, is a missing premise uh, uh, saying that God would prevent all evil unless there was a good reason mm. and, a, and a greater good in allowing it temporarily. Like, for instance, if he was to get rid of all evil in the world, that's all of us gone too, yeah. okay? If I wanted to think an atheistic thought, he gave me a splitting headache when I did it. Well, the atheists are pro-protestive for that. He did that. <laughs> so he could actually destroy all evil by destroying all of us. And also sometimes, um, like you have a dentist, you might extract a tooth, a tooth as I've had recently, uh, to prevent a greater problem. Um, yeah, that's right. Like good parents bring their children to the dentist, knowing that it's going to cause them pain and suffering, mm-hmm. but it's because they have a greater good in mind. And, and God could be the same way. He could have morally sufficient reasons for allowing evil to happen for a time. Mm. Temporarily, he's going to do it away with it one day but he is achieving a greater good through these things. And the other thing is the the assumption that if, if God wants to get rid of evil, he'd want to do it immediately. But what about, that's what he's promising to do, that yeah. in the new heavens and new earth, there will be no death, suffering, or pain, because the curse will be abolished, and therefore um, evil will be abolished as well, right? That's right. And um, I was going to read a, a verse, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, mm-hmm. out of Go Romans on. 8, 28. It says, and we know that For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so, and the the next verse goes on to talk about how that good for believers is that we're being conformed to the image of Christ. Mm -hmm. But I think that's so significant that it doesn't say all things that happen are good, but God uses even the bad Mm. things uh, for good purposes in the end. And you see the same thing with Joseph in the story in, you know, the later chapters of Genesis where his brothers, you know, sold him into slavery and yet at the end of their, well, later in life, when Jacob dies, Joseph forgives his brothers, but they're worried he's going to retaliate. And he tells them what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. And of course, the ultimate evil was crucifying the incarnate Son of God. But of course, that was meant for our good. That's how we are saved through his uh, death and suffering on the cross. Yeah. And this is not to say that we know necessarily every particular instance of suffering and evil that happens, you know, why God allowed that particular mm-hmm. one. There are many places in the Bible, like uh, the book of Job, where we learn the lesson, you know, not to assume it's because of a particular sin you committed. That's not necessarily why you're undergoing the suffering. 
that you're mm-hmm. undergoing. Or uh, Jesus in the New Testament talked about how the man who was born blind, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't because he sinned or because his parents sinned, but it was to show the glory of God when, when Jesus healed him and so forth. So mm-hmm. we might not know all the details of why God allows particular instances of suffering, but we know in the big picture that God is good and that he can use these things for good. And atheists really don't have any ground to stand on here to say that they know enough to say that God can't have su- morally sufficient reasons for these. Well, things. they'd have to be God, and the, they'd have to be God, <laughs> wouldn't they, to actually have this uh, all yeah. knowledge? But they don't, of course. Yeah. Okay. All right. Why then is this problem of evil actually a bigger problem for atheists than it is for Christians? Well, I mean, I've heard of the atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell saying, "Well, how can a, a, a clergyman go to a bed of a dying cancer patient, child cancer patient?" Yeah. One clergyman who actually spent lots of time with such patients said, well, what are you going to offer them? Mm, Oh, tough luck. Uh, You've had your chips. Um, That's the end. Um, You're suffering and you're going to die and become fertilized and that's all there is to it. What do they have to offer? Nothing. It can be emotionally powerful to lay that charge at the feet of Christians, but what's the alternative? That's Mm. so often when I talk to young people who have left their Christian upbringing and they move on to some other worldview, I ask them, you know, okay, you've critically scrutinized Christianity and you think you see some problems there, but what about your new, new worldview? Have you critically analyzed that as well? What's the alternative? And atheism doesn't provide a good alternative to, to suffering. It says, you know, this is just too bad. That's the way things go. <laughs> well, and also, how do they even justify even the concept of evil? Yeah. If we're the result of, we're rearranged pond scum, the result of the strong overpowering the weak, the meek do not inherit the earth under evolution, uh, the weak get crushed underfoot. So what does evil mean in such a worldview? Yeah, we actually have a basis for saying why something is right and wrong, right? We can say the the concept of goodness, it's it's grounded in God's unchanging nature. He's eternal and he's, mm. you know, always existed. And so it's not something frivolous or, you know, that's going to go away. It's it's grounded in something objective that God is real and he's the standard for why we call things right and wrong. Because the one thing you can't do is go from what is to what ought to be. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. actually called the naturalistic fallacy in ethics, and you just can't make that. Even the atheistic Hume, uh, David Hume, he actually realized he couldn't make that connection, and yet some people are, are trying to make a connection which can't be done. Yeah. Have you ever seen the movie Life of Pi? Afraid not, no. It's um, not coming from a Christian worldview, but it's kind of a, a philosophical coming from a philosophical mm-hmm. perspective. And kind of the thrust of that movie is to say that atheism leads to despair. It's kind of a dark and terrible worldview. Mm. The flip side is they say, well, religion is irrational, but I guess we need to embrace irrationality because the alternative is so much worse. So I I think they get it wrong that it's not true that that religion and belief in God is irrational, but the other side of the coin they got right, that atheism does lead to despair. It it doesn't Mm -hmm. give you a basis for objective right and wrong and and give you the answer to the problem of evil. In their worldview, they don't have a God who's going to make all things right. And as we discussed a while back, I mean, it doesn't give you a basis for rationality either. Yeah, yeah, which we've written about as well. Well, why don't we talk about, I I think one of the the keys to understanding, you know, if you ever challenge an, an atheist in a discussion about this problem, it's important to distinguish between objective morality from subjective morality. Mm-hmm. Objective morality means that morality is grounded in the, the the object. So to say that murder is wrong, that's based on the act of murder in itself is wrong. The standard is higher than higher than you. It's outside of human beings. Mm-hmm. Whereas subjective morality would say that's just your personal preference, like saying chocolate is the best ice cream flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's true for me, but not for you. So, well, so moral yeah. claims like murder is wrong. That's not merely my preference. There's a standard that's 
higher than me. And that's what atheists can't Well, I mean, for instance, the Nuremberg trials, I mean, you got the Goering and co saying, well, what, what's the problem? I, I was obeying the laws of my country. Mm. And of course, they'd have to say, well, you, there's a higher law than your law, which is a murder and genocide is objectively wrong. But where do you get this higher moral law yeah. without a higher moral law giver? That's right. It, it can't even be rooted, n not just in individual human beings, but even in whole countries or, you know, the whole world, mm. even if everyone in the world said that murder was okay, it's, it still wouldn't be. You know, even if the Nazis had won World War II and exterminated everyone who disagreed with them, they'd still be wrong about those facts mm. because it's an objective truth claim. The standard is higher than us. And also, we're not actually making a straw man here. We're actually uh, going by what the leading atheists themselves say. Yeah. I mean, like William Provine said, if evolution is true, which is what he believes, there's no ultimate foundation for ethics, which means no objective right or wrong under an evolutionary worldview. And Richard Dawkins says things like, under evolution, there's uh, no good or evil, just blind, mm. pitiless indifference. And there's, there's another amusing thing he did, uh, which is about a British comedy. I'm not sure if you Yankees know about British comedies, but Faulty Towers 50 years yes. ago, <laughs> uh, a really eccentric hotel manager called Basil Faulty. And there's one nice clip where he's actually gets so angry with a car that doesn't start now that they actually beats the car. Yeah. Well, it takes a tree branch and yeah. just gets so angry at the car. Yeah. I'm familiar with it. Yeah, see, Dawkins actually had an article about that. Why are we laughing at Basil beating his car? Why mm. do we laugh just as much as a at a judge who punishes a, a criminal? Because they're both defective mechanisms. Mm. And he says, under evolution, concepts like blame and responsibility, even good and evil, are just the results mm. of, of thousands, millions of years of Darwinian selection and have no ultimate basis in reality yeah. So this is a leading atheist, the apostle of atheopathy, you might say, and he's admitting there's no ultimate basis for right and wrong. But yeah. then he says creationists are evil. That's exactly right. So they, what they do is they talk out both sides of their mouths. Mm -hmm. I think they're just being inconsistent here. And, and uh, oftentimes when you try to pin them down on this, they'll, they'll even in one conversation switch back and forth between affirming there really are things that are truly objectively right and wrong on the one hand. But then you say, but how do you account for that in your atheism? And then they try to justify it by saying, well, evolution can explain these tendencies we have, you know, and it mm. inculcates in us these inclinations to behave in a certain way, social pressures and things. But what that's doing is not giving an account of objective morality. It's saying that there are actually no real moral facts. It's just these social pressures. It's saying that morality is relative. And mm. so... You, you can't have it both ways. you got to choose well, one Well, I mean, uh, according to them, presumably Adolf Hitler and Mother Teresa are both the results of evolutionary process. Mm -hmm. How can one result be more correct than the, another result? Yeah. And we ourselves have individual instincts to do you know, selfish things mm -hmm. or to not get caught for doing things wrong. Mm -hmm. So if, if both are these instincts that have evolved, then the standard for good isn't from the instincts themselves. It has to be something outside the instincts to judge between them. Yeah, that's the, uh, the important thing. They see that they haven't got a leg to stand on, have they? Yeah. So what well, next? Do you one, think? one more thing we should touch on is sometimes when atheists hear Christians making this argument, they'll say, "But as an atheist, I can still do good things. I can love my, you know, children and my neighbor and so forth." Aren't you completely off base in accusing us of not being able to, to do moral things and to be good? But this goes back to what we've just been saying. They, we're not saying atheists can't do good things. We're saying they have no objective basis for calling those things good in the yeah. first place. Yeah. They don't have a grounding for it. So it's the difference between ontology. This is something we learned about in philosophy class mm -hmm. in, in school. Ontology, which is the study of being, mm. versus epistemology, which is knowing. 
Mm-hmm. Atheists can know what's right and wrong because they, they live in God's world. God gave them a conscience like Romans mm-hmm. talks about. So they can recognize good and evil. They can, they can perform actions that are good by you know, human standards. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that their worldview, atheism, does not give them that basis for saying one thing is right and one thing, another thing is wrong. Well, for instance, uh, I mean, one of my favorite anti-abortion pages is secular pro-life. They get a great mm-hmm. example of why the human is, is, is a human being from conception, from fertilization, why it's yeah. wrong to kill human beings. But ultimately, um, that will lead you so far, and I, I applaud them for doing that. But, I mean, again, under what basis can they say that killing a baby is wrong when you have atheist philosophers like Peter Singer saying, well, yes, of course it's human, but so what? Uh, mm-hmm. We should get, well, we yeah. should be more consistent and kill babies after birth as well. Well, we, you and I would hopefully want people to say, well, if it's wrong to kill after birth, it's also wrong to kill before birth. He just does make, turns the argument round in reverse. Well, let's hit on one more thing here, and that is this challenge, this response that atheists, another one that they'll sometimes give is what's called the Euthyphro Dilemma. And this is to say, well, okay, even if we atheists don't have a good explanation for good and evil, they might say, well, God isn't any better of an explanation because it just begs the question as well. They'll say, here's, here's the paradox that confronts Christians. Mm. Is something good because God says so, or does God say that something is good because it is? Yeah. And the, the challenge there is you know, to say, if God... God say so, if that's what makes something good, then it seems kind of arbitrary. Like, could God have mm. declared the opposite of the Ten Commandments to be what's good? You know, thou shalt commit adultery, thou shalt steal, etc. Whereas if the alternative is right, if God declares something good because it already is, then that makes it sound like there's a standard outside of God that's even higher than him. So he can't then be the standard to which we appeal. So how do we answer that Euthyphro dilemma? Well, I, I've read the, uh, the that dialogue uh, in translation, of course, not the original Greek. And yeah. it's interesting. It's, it's from yeah. Plato's yeah, it's Plato, work. Yeah. Yeah. See, Euthyphro was talking to Socrates about he was going to prosecute his own father. Yeah, and uh, Socrates was quite appalled by that. But Okay, what do you know? But he said he knew what the gods would want, and the gods have decreed something. So that's when Socrates said, is it right because the gods decree it, or do the gods decree it because it's right? Mm-hmm. And this was in a polytheistic context of capricious gods who um, were squabbling among themselves and were basically glorified uh, humans with great power. Yeah. They were not <laughs> the god, of the, the single god of the Bible who is a creator of everything, and whose own nature is found funda- fundamentally good. That's good. So it's it's really a false dilemma because yes. it's setting it up as though there's only those two options when really there's a third, that it's it's not rooted in God's arbitrary say-so or a standard above him. It's God's own character, his very nature that is eternal and unchanging. That's what sets the standard that, mm. for goodness. So things are good because God commands them, but God commands them because they are good according to his own nature, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Yep, so that I think avoids the dilemma and shows that really God is the best explanation for our this experience that we have with uh, this realm of moral duties and obligations and good and evil. We, we recognize it's there because God gave us the law mm. written on our hearts, and atheism doesn't have a leg to stand on here. Well, see, Romans 2 tells us that people have no excuse. First of all, Romans 1 says because of creation. Romans 2 yeah. said because even our own consciences make us realize that we're not perfect. Yeah. Uh, even our own seared imperfect consciences. So how much more are we violating uh, the perfect law of our creator? Yeah, excellent. 
All right. So in just considering this weighty problem of evil, it's one of the biggest questions that gets asked. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jono, we've seen that the challenges that atheists lob at Christians are answerable. We've Mm -hmm. addressed them on our website time and time again. We've shown that God can have sufficient reasons for allowing evil. Evil is a privation of what's good, and goodness Mm -hmm. is rooted in God's unchanging character. And we've seen that Contrary-wise, atheism doesn't have adequate explanations for the problem of evil, right? They, mm. they can't account for why there is such a thing as right and wrong in their own worldview, even though they can't escape living in God's world and encountering things that they're constantly throwing out these moral judgments mm. <laughs> against things that they perceive are, are evil, and rightly so. So anyway, we thank you, all your viewers, for watching today. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope that you'll just click the thumbs up, the like button. And you can subscribe as well to get future episodes. Click the bell and that will send you notifications going forward. Make sure you interact with us as well. We'd love to hear what you have to say about this subject. And we'll actually comment and reply down below. For more information, visit creation.com. And thanks for watching. Thanks for watching.